0: With insights and analysis of today's rapidly shifting world. Welcome to the Jewish Patriot Show. With Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. And now, your Jewish Patriot, Cindy Gross. Hello and welcome to the Jewish Patriot. I am your host,
1: Cindy Gross. And I am proud to be today's premier Jewish women activist talking about the headlines and trends that are on your minds. And I'm very proud to be on the conservative television of America network, the black and white network, real talk radio network, and you can stream and download me on every major outlet internationally, anytime. Plus... You can read my articles on Reactionary Times, Aru Israel National News, the Times of Israel, and many other outlets. I really want to thank you so much for the great response I've been getting about the show and how it's growing each week. And I'm glad that you agree with me that there are so many topics that are on the minds of American Jews that actually are shared with other groups Other minorities, other people with political preferences, financial preferences, historical preferences, and I'm just so happy to have you with me that we have such a big show. I want to welcome you into my opening corner, my pearls of wisdom, because I am Cecil Peril. So I want to play a game with you, and I'm going to call it, say it, pay it. Play it, but you do. You really believe it? And I am asked all the time questions wherever I go, whether it's a political event or a religious institution's event or a food event, a fashion event. The conversation always turns to the twenty twenty two elections, and of course, will Trump run in twenty twenty four? So I am going to say something that I see going on, and. Again, it's say it, pay it, play it, but do I really believe it? If I was to believe every single article I read or story I hear, even from the right-wing media, you would think that every single person that Donald Trump endorsed is going to lose. There are some that seem more obvious than others. Everybody is convinced that Pennsylvania is going to accept a progressive as their next uh, senator, which we might think they might want a moderate, but I think a lot of people are going to really think twice about a progressive. Same thing in Arizona, same thing in Michigan, Ohio, Georgia, where so many of you are watching us through CTA Media, And through your local television stations, everybody thinks everybody's turning blue. Everybody's going to become a progressive. I want to ask you something. Do you really believe it? Do you believe it when you hear that true conservatives like Ted Cruz and others, Donald Trump Jr., have been uh, endorsing Democrats who run as Republicans to lose elections, I don't believe it. I hope that voters are smart enough to vote on issues. I hope that the voters are going to be voting on the cost of food, the high crime, what's going on on our border. I hope that voters are looking at our schools and questioning Why is so much money going to a system that is obviously failing? There must be a better way. And with that, there's my answer. I believe in the American voter. I believe that people are going to come out in Election Day and stand up for what they believe in safety, fair pricing. Great international relations, quality education, good jobs, clean streets, public transportation that's safe, an airline system that works. You know, we pay a service for our airlines and then we have to beg them not to cancel flights. We have to beg them to actually take care of us. When there are time delays, something's not kosher here, and you don't have to be Jewish to understand the kosherness of this question. So I'm asking you: Do you believe every endorsement? Are you voting by an endorsement, or are you voting by what is going on in the your own four corners of your house, your streets? your supermarkets, your drugstores, your churches and synagogues, your schools? Are you voting on where you live? And that means you're going to be watching local, state, and national elections. And I think when push comes to shove, yes, there are less than 100 days, but it only takes one day to change your mind, one hour. One conversation. I'll tell you what needs to be discussed by both parties that no one is talking about. And that is election reform. The high cost of primaries, all these endorsements, these constant emails that we're all sick and tired of, and text messages. There's got to be a more efficient way to get the message out on who to vote for. Join me in the fight to listen and to play along with pay it, say it, play it, but don't believe it. Believe in making America great again. And that's not a racist MAGA movement. That's a common sense movement for young and old, left and right, who want to get along and have America, the greatest country in the world. We have a huge show tonight. So sit back, stay tuned, and join us with our first guest after the first commercial. Thank you.
2: Hello, this is Dan Perkins, your host for Black & White, and I'm also an investment advisor with over 50 years of experience in investing. Inflation is at a near 50-year high and perhaps going higher. The capital markets for the first six months of 2022 was the worst performing in almost 50 years. Two generations and perhaps more have never experienced this level of inflation. You may have had some significant declines in your portfolio of investments in the first six months and are asking, what does the future hold? And by the way, what should I be doing now? I have grave concerns that we have not seen the peak in inflation. And because it may be around for some time, I want to introduce you to the Black and White Gold Ownership Program run by Ira and his team at Advisor Metals. So go to blacksandwhites.us and click on the gold bar to take you directly to Ira to work with him to see if gold is right for you in your portfolio in protecting your investments. This is Dan Perkins. Thanks for listening.
0: Nike is constantly political. Why? Why?
1: Our next guest, of course, you're going to recognize the name because of his very famous father, but Robert Bork Jr. really has established his own own, uh, name for all the work he has done in regard to antitrust. And every single day, there is another issue where antitrust is being brought up and how people want to have their rights. And... Thank you so much for joining us on the Jewess Patriot. I should say that you are the head of the Board Communications Group and you are also involved with the Antitrust Education Project and you're going to tell us all about that and all the other projects you're involved in. But really, we really need to know what is going on in our government and how we as individuals as constitutionalists have to stand up for America because we are really fighting a war that we might
3: not be able to win. Well, I'm grateful for it to be with your audience and with you today. I, um, you're right, I, I, this is a huge, huge threat to our to our uh, economy, to capitalism as a whole. And uh, what, we're, what I'm talking about is the assault on uh, antitrust law, the regime we've been living under for the last 43 years called the Consumer Welfare Standard. Uh, The Consumer Welfare Standard is is the product, uh, first and foremost, of my father's work in antitrust going back to the 60s, and with the publication of his book, The Antitrust Paradox, in 1978, he laid out a uh, complaint against uh, how antitrust law was applied and and a way forward, and that way forward was to put the consumer at the center of antitrust, which he said was always the purpose of antitrust law but it had been uh, sort of twisted by the left, particularly uh, judges on the Supreme Court like uh, uh, Justice um, William O. Douglas and Justice Lewis Brandeis, uh, who saw it as uh, a way to punish bigness and to protect uh, inefficient uh, competitors from having to deal with uh, a free market. So he put forward these ideas and he taught himself oddly enough, he taught himself calculus uh, to to do that to, to, so he could do the math and he could do the economics and put this all forward in his book. Uh, and uh, the Supreme Court adopted it a year later uh, in a case called Writer v. Sonatone. They cited his book. They cited uh, his work. Uh, and it has been uh, reinforced over the years in, in, in the courts. Uh, and uh, it has been, I think, part of the driving force for growth and job creation and innovation over the last 43 years. But it's under threat. And-, and
1: Exactly, and every single, it's not just you know the antitrust laws with what we're purchasing as consumers, it's everything what we say. If we wanna stand up for our kids in education, mass man, it's everything. It's all really tied together of this government wanting to control every aspect of our lives.
3: Well, I agree with you that it's part of uh, the, the, what's going on now in antitrust is that the left is wants to use it as a weapon, as a cudgel uh, to enforce uh, more regulation, more woke regulation on business and to turn the uh, boardrooms and the uh, C-suites of American corporations, not just the big ones, but the smaller ones, too, uh, into vehicles for enforcing uh, woke standards. And, um that's a problem but you know I, I you were you mentioned speech and we can talk about that uh, particularly in the big tech companies I know we as conservatives have a big complaint and, and I know that you do particularly yes. um, against uh, what's being done there with uh, censoring conservatives and conservative speech. but I, I argue that the that the solution to that is other forms of uh, you know legislation, other leg- other laws, other fixing existing laws like Section two hundred and thirty, and not weaponizing antitrust for that purpose. Interestingly, of course, is the left has decided that that's the great shiny object that they can use to lure uh, Republican conservatives uh, into uh, t- you know signing on to their uh, silly ideas, uh, like uh, Ted Cruz and, and others who have uh, you know made noises about supporting some of this legislation from Amy Klobuchar and others. But it won't do anything to solve that problem. In fact, it won't do anything to solve any problem. It's only going to make more problems. Uh, Go ahead, I'm just talking over here.
1: No, no, this is great. And it's something really I don't know much about. So I really want to learn more because I always think about the great building of the United States was when the great leaders that everybody... You know, in great need of business, they would like in this day and age, would have a fit with what 's going on, yeah, you know, yeah so so a lot of the work you do through the antitrust education project, which you're uh, in charge of, is a lot of work in the legal system, and I know you do a lot of work with seminars and really educating people and helping people in a legal way. Tell us a little bit about that
3: well, let me if I could just back up so uh, how we got here, how I got to this, because I am not a lawyer. Uh, I got an education around the dinner table, which might amount to something of a, a, <laughs> of a legal degree, uh, but uh, but I, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, I was a journalist first and foremost uh, until I got sick of that uh, because it had gone so far off the off the rails. Uh, journalism has, and uh, in, in 1987, after my father's confirmation. Loss. I quit journalism and went out and decided to get on the game and get on the bench and uh, off the bench and into the game. So, uh, but so in 2016, when I saw um, Elizabeth Warren starting to talk about weaponizing antitrust, uh, I my first thought was, well, my dad addresses all of this. In fact, he was very worried about socialism uh, using antitrust. So uh, I went to check his book. It was out of print. Couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, and so I republished it. I long uh, labor of love, but I republished it uh, under our own uh, Bork Publishing, and you can get it on Amazon and, and Barnes and Noble. Uh, but uh, and I got Mike Lee, Senator Mike Lee, to write a new introduction, and I wrote a new forward. Uh, and we published that in April of 2021, and I started the Antitrust Education Project uh, to really promote his ideas, make sure people don't forget that we have a system that works and why would we want to tear it down uh, which is what the left wants to do what lena Kahn wants to do at the ftc what amy klobuchar wants to do in the in the senate uh what joe biden wants to do in fact he when he announced his 72 executive orders to improve competition which is again a lie uh Coming from his mouth, uh, he lied about my father in that in that opening in that statement, and he, he lied about the, the the threats to our economy uh, from antitrust from from the current order. And so I've just been doing nothing but engaging in uh, online and tweet and in, in tweeting and uh, and writing lots of op eds and speaking. Uh, going next week to speak to Republican attorneys general uh, about this problem. Uh, and I've, it's it, it's become a labor of love for me uh, and, a, and, a, and a further, deeper connection with my father and his legacy.
1: Speaking of your father, of course, we hear from the Trump legacy, the three people he put on the Supreme Court, and we all know what happened with your father. What do you think he would think about the three people that uh, are on the court now?
3: Well, I think, um, I don't know if he knew, uh, Amy Coney Barrett but I know he knew Gorsuch and I know he knew uh Brett Kavanaugh in fact I think Brett was a student of his um, I think I, I'm not sure but uh he would he, I think he would approve of all of them uh and of course he was great friends with Clarence Thomas and and uh, the late uh Justice Scalia they they uh knew each other well and served on the same lower court so I I think he'd be very happy with who's on the court now and the and the shift in it in the you know and the and the adoption really finally of originalism as the as the operating system operating philosophy for judicial interpretation.
1: What do you think that we as voters, we're going into a big election in twenty twenty two, should be looking for in candidates, especially in Congress and the House? Now that we are all going to primaries and we see who's winning. What are some of the topics in relating to antitrust Should we be looking at so we know we're gonna be voting in the right candidates?
3: Well, on antitrust, it's pretty simple. And I should say, um, I I, I am not, uh, I don't wanna tell people how to vote. I'll tell you how I would vote. Um, I would vote for somebody who uh, who understands economics, understands uh, that the system we've had for 43 years, the consumer welfare standard, uh, has done great things for this country. Has been part of the great engine of growth, innovation, prosperity, job creation that we've had in this country, and I would urge uh, any candidate to to pledge to protect it uh, from the left, which wants to uh, weaponize antitrust and turn it into, uh, you know, a way of exerting more control, not less control, uh, over over our economic lives. Um, but I would also say somebody's got to start taking. <laughs> Somebody's got to start looking at what's going on in terms of our national debt. Uh, You know, we we always hear about how big the the debt is. We don't talk much about the even bigger number, the unfunded liabilities uh, that this country has. Someday, sooner or later, all of that is going to come crashing down. And the only way to get out of it is growth. So any any vehicle that would, any policy that would, you know, uh, uh, help the country grow economically is the only way we're going to get out of it.
1: Well, I could tell you, uh, just on a side, in my own experience with uh, New York Fashion Week, because I'm involved with it, I could tell you because of the left policies, it has totally destroyed business with antitrust and because of safety. I mean, a lot of these issues tie into antitrust and the control of just certain people just wanting to take over the business, the high cost of things, the inability to get uh, materials. It's all kind of leaning in. it, So I, I think, you know, the idea of free enterprise and, and learning about consumer uh, laws and, and your, our consumer rights is so important. What do you think, uh, anything else you want to share with us before we close?
3: Well, I would urge people who want to know more, don't be scared off by the name antitrust. That sounds very ominous and legalese. Uh, think about it in terms of uh, competition. Uh, and how do we preserve a system that creates competition and creates uh, innovation? Uh, and then, if they want to know more, they can go to the uh, go to antitrusteducationproject.org or look at antitrustedu on Twitter, because we talk about things other than just what we're producing there. And of course, I would urge people to uh, pick up a copy of the Antitrust Paradox. I don't you do... don't have to read it all the way through? It's actually very readable. But if you just want to read the introduction by by uh by uh mike lee and and the forward by me and read the, actually the last bit which is my father's summation of 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 everything that he wrote in 1993 we included that in the book uh you'll get a really strong sense of how we got here and why we should protect it
1: well i can't thank you enough for educating us i mean not Many of us talk about this enough, and yet it's staring us right in our face to fight it every single day, because the antitrust of a consumer is kind of tied to everything else we're doing. And we see it. We see how it also ties into the falling apart of our judicial system as we are speaking.
0: Yes. Thank, so, you.
1: thank you so much, Robert Bork, for joining the Jewish Patriot.
0: My pleasure. American Airlines rated the worst, losing the most bags, shrinking legroom during COVID. American requires passengers to show ID to fly, but attacks Texas's popular voter ID law. Why is CEO Doug Parker trying to appease the radical left to distract from billions of taxpayer bailouts? From his $10 million payday, from Americans record layoffs? Doug Parker, American Airlines, serve your customers, not woke politicians.
2: The federal government just reported that the rate of inflation for the last 12 months was 8.5%, close to a 40-year high. This is Dan Perkins with Blacks and Whites. Prices continue to rise on other commodity besides oil. I ask you, what are you going to do to protect your money and your investment? It's time for you to take a serious look at gold for your portfolio. If you've had enough empty promises and misleading statements by the Biden government, isn't it time for you to take control of your money and your future? Go to blacksandwhites.us and on the homepage, click the bar of gold to be taken directly to IRA and Advisors Metals to ask the question, is gold right for me? This is Dan Perkins.
1: Welcome back and what a show. I promised you informative people, new information, and I'm not going to disappoint with my closing. So join me in my closing pearls of wisdom because I am Zisel Pearl, sweet pearl. I want to focus in on a new GOP and the agenda of working with American Jews. There are- Questions I've been getting for years that it doesn't matter whether someone is Jewish or not Jewish, young or old, in a blue state or a red state. People want to know why so many Jews still are voting Democratic. And yes, they still vote in large blocks for the Democrats. But I'm very happy to tell you that like everybody else, in the Asian community, in the black community, in the gay community, of course, the Hispanic community. The American Jewish community is also increasing their votes and their power in the Republican Party. I can tell you over the past couple of years, whether or not it's local elections, whether or not it's statewide election or national for Congress, Senate, Uh, Or even people thinking about 2024 who are Jewish to run for the White House. There are more Jewish candidates. Ashkenazic, Sephardic, religious, non-religious. Israelis. We have a record number of Israeli Americans running for statewide offices and for state senates this year. People aren't voting because of their religion. People aren't voting because of the color of their skin in the Republican Party. People aren't voting because of Israel. Yes, Israel is important, but American Jews are voting for American issues. American Jews, many of them are located in blue states. And they see what's happening around them. American Jews are very concerned about their safety and these bail reform laws that allow criminals out over and over again to repeat crimes and hurt people. American Jews are going to come over in even bigger numbers in the next couple of years to the Republican Party. And you know what? American Jews are embracing coalitions with other groups so that we build power in numbers. So this is my suggestion to leaders in the Republican Party, especially county leaderships, state leaderships, and anybody thinking of running for national office in 2024. We know Republican Jewish donors work very well with non-Jewish candidates and with non-Jewish donors to save our country, but don't take us for granted. Don't think that American Jews are just going to come over to the Republican Party and let it be the status quo so that our numbers grow in the Republican party and we are treated the way we are in the democratic party. Now, you know, New York used to have eight Jewish congressional representatives in Washington. We might not have one now from New York. I'm talking about from New York. I'm sorry. And We are having more and more Jewish-American Republicans from states in the Midwest, from the South, and from even very high Northwest. We also have more voices like me, Republican-Jewish voices, who are concerned about American-Jewish issues And the American Jewish issues are the same as American Christian or American moderate Muslim issues or American Asian issues. A lot of it overlaps with my opening statements. Voters are going to come out in big numbers for common sense values. They're going to come out for their children and grandchildren. They're going to come out to save their retirement savings that they've worked years for. They're going to come out to be able to travel around the world safely as an American and not be embarrassed or fear for their lives. So the American Jews who are looking for freedom, looking for democracy, and looking to be able to pray freely, have their right to bear arms freely, to have quality school choice, and to purchase goods in a fair market are going to come over to the GOP, just like everybody else. We are not voting first for Israel, although many of us are very concerned about Israel. But we are American Jews. And don't forget that. We stand with the United States of America. Make America great again. Tell me your thoughts. And please, I answer emails, text, and you can reach me through Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn, as you know, Twitter banned me. So please feel free to reach out and share what you think. And perhaps we could talk about your topic on one of our upcoming shows. We'll be back shortly.
4: Had enough yet? Do facts no longer matter? Are lies to be encouraged instead of punished? This is not our inheritance. If truth no longer matters, we will not remain free for long. This is our generation's challenge. To defend our founders' hope that we, the people, could self-govern if we defend our right to get the facts. And right now, we're building the only defense a free people have, the facts, on every politician, every position they held, every statement they've made, every vote they've made, and any cash they've taken. It's the real history on those now pandering for your vote. There are hundreds of young people building our defense right now, and they need your help. We all have our passions, but as our ancestors knew, when events become so foul they threaten us all, we must stand and defend each other. Please, have our backs. Join us at boatsmart.org.
2: The federal government just reported that the rate of inflation for the last 12 months was 8.5%, close to a 40-year high. This is Dan Perkins with Blacks and Whites. Prices continue to rise on other commodity besides oil. I ask you, what are you going to do to protect your money and your investment? It's time for you to take a serious look at gold for your portfolio. If you've had enough empty promises and misleading statements by the Biden government, isn't it time for you to take control of your money and your future? Go to blacksandwhites.us and on the homepage, click the bar of gold to be taken directly to IRA and Advisors Metals to ask the question, is gold right for me? This is Dan Perkins. Welcome back to the
1: show. I want to share with you one of my favorite tips. Adopt and don't shop. This is King Kyle. Kyle is four years old and he is one of the best additions to our home we ever had. He usually likes the computer, but he's more concerned about having a perfect home and a perfect show. So my tip to all of you is if you can save a rescue pet, do it. Thank you. Joining us now on the Jewess Patriot is Rabbi Dr. Yossi Ives. Now, he just wrote a, a brand new book and it's a bestseller, but the topic is something that I, I'm intrigued by and we don't discuss much. And that is all the technology and advances from Israel that people don't really realize just how many people use every single day, whether or not it's involving their health care, their agriculture, uh, irrigation. Uh, We're going to go into it a lot in detail. Rabbi, doctor, thank you so much for joining the Jewish Patriot. Pleasure. So the book is called A Light from Zion. And we are very big Zionists on this show. And it's why Israel's innovation matters to the world. Most people read the headlines, and depending on what kind of media outlet they're getting their information from, all they see are these false stories about Israel. They could see the attacks, the terror attacks, and they don't even realize that the same people that order the terror attacks are the same leaders that go to Israel for the medical technology, for the medical advances when they need them. They're the same people that beg for the irrigation advances from Israel when they need them in the desert. And we could go on and on. And your book is very enlightening to this and how really the technology really unifies Israel with the rest of the world. So thank you so much for joining us. And tell us a little bit about what made you decide to write this book.
5: Well, actually, there have been a number of books in not distant past that talk a lot about the technology, about high tech. that has made Israel so um, successful over the last couple of decades. And in that, we, we lose out. And, focus on the low-tech and the no-tech that allowed Israel to get to the point that it could become a high-tech giant. If we think 100 years ago, it was a malarial swamp. Unemployment was at like 50 percent. Poverty was rampant. Life expectancy was very low, similar to very poor countries nowadays. There were no universities, um, and there were very few decent jobs. And very few opportunities and coming to Israel meant agreeing to a life of suffering and hardship. Um, So how did they get out of it? This is 80 years before Israel became a high-tech powerhouse and the answer is by adopting a simple attitude which is we're not going to accept the problems we're going to find solutions. It sounds easy but it's an obsession in Israel, a dedication for over a hundred years to solving problems and if, the, if, there, if there isn't a solution that's readily available, well, we'll come up with one. And th- that's what's allowed Israel to be so successful. Of course, there are many aspects about how Israel did it. Um, I, I call this the seven secrets of Israel's success. Um, and it, it's not like you can do this thing out of magic. But Israel figured out, better than maybe than any other country on the planet, how they're going to beat the odds.
1: Well, I have to tell you that uh, they certainly do have every challenge every single day. A couple of years ago, I was invited to the United Nations. It was an experience in regard to the water irrigation and how Israel was introducing to the African countries advances because they were going through many droughts and they wanted help. People don't even get a clue about how Israel works with so many countries all around the world and how many different people rely on Israel for so much help. We only hear about the obvious ones, the ways, the cancer advances. Um, you, you, You probably know a lot more than I do to share.
5: But What's interesting and what's so fascinating is that there are so many things that Israel does so well When I say so well, I mean either the best in the world or in the top five in the world. So many areas that are not making their way outside of Israel or only doing so to a very minimal degree. And most people, including pro-Israel people, people who consider themselves to be avowed Zionists, would have no idea. For example, I don't think there are many people on this planet who know that Israel is the number one country for veganism in the world. Um, Who would have thought a country that eats the highest per capita amount of schnitzel, is also got the highest per capita veganism. And how did that catch on? That's an extraordinary thing that happened in recent years. Another thing people wouldn't necessarily know that Israel is the highest per capita in altruistic uh, live kidney donations. This means that people who are giving away a kidney entirely for free to somebody they've never met before. Um, And Israel just 15 years ago had almost none, literally down to zero. And in 15 years, it's become the world's leader in this area, number one. And not just number one, but by far number one. So much so that there are more live altruistic kidney donations in Israel per year than in China and India combined. That's a population of about three billion people. It staggers the mind. When Israelis get in their head that they're going to do something, they really go for it. And they do it with tremendous creativity. And they do things to an extraordinary degree. And I think these are things which can save the lives of literally
1: millions of people. So in your book, you talk about uh, natural disasters, and regardless of where it is around the world or what kind of the disaster, we always see whether it's Hatsola, which is our uh, ambulance and medical emergency system, or doctors, uh, any kind of supplies, Israel is always a leader. And I have to ask you, how did you get the information for the book? Because it's really filled with a lot of information.
5: Oh, there's two questions. Um, I'll answer the second one in a moment. But just to say that what's so interesting about Israel is not that it's doing these things. It's what it's doing and how it's doing it. One of the unique things about Israel, and again, most Israelis wouldn't know this, is that Israel has a unique approach to disaster preparedness that puts it almost in, in a class of its own by any other country on the planet. Israelis are preparing for a disaster every minute of the day. It's woven into the fabric of their society. It's done in so many ways that Israelis just take for granted that's just how things are, can't even imagine it differently. But that is why when there are disasters, Israel's so successful. I was sat about 10 years ago, I can't remember the exact year, After uh, Katrina with the American Red Cross, and they were saying they were caught so out of um, readiness that they took days to get themselves figured out because they had all this equipment because they're a wealthy organization. No one knew where it was. No one knew how to use it and no one knew um, who even knew what to do with it. It was just they were completely caught um, off guard at, at a time of real crisis, and it turned out that all of their preparation was useless. Um, what's unique about Israel is that the preparation is woven in. So, for example, you mentioned Hatzalah. This is just an organization that is it's, it's a disaster preparedness organization. In a time of real crisis, they step in. But that's because they're practicing this every day in small disasters. And this goes over and over again in every aspect of Israel, which, again, is why I'm saying we need to really recognize if we want to solve problems around the world, you, would, you wouldn't do, do badly to shop in Israel and try to understand what they're doing. That's um, how I came up with it. Um, obviously, information is easy to come by nowadays, which is fantastic. But the interesting thing is, people look at my background and they look at the book and they say, How did you even think of this stuff? Uh, correct. Right? Because I don't have the natural background for any of this. My knowledge of agriculture is extremely limited, let's say. Um, I, I've never lived on a farm. But if you just close your eyes and just thought for a moment, okay, Israel was once a real, real. One of the poorest places on earth. You remember that famous Mark Twain description of Israel when he went to see it 150 years ago? He described it as basically a complete hellscape, right? And now you look at Israel today. You just have to imagine how many things you have to get right to get from that to this. And so you start looking around and say, what is it that Israel did? And it must have done a lot of things right. Um, and so you, I'm personally a, uh, someone who's been through higher education. I was very interested to understand. What is it about Israel that's allowed its higher education to be so successful? And so it's curiosity. Maybe I have an Israeli at heart.
1: Well, uh, for my agriculture, my, it's probably very similar to yours, enjoying all the vegetables and all the natural foods on our tables, especially on our Sabbaths our holidays. And another project you have is that you founded a group called TAG. Tell our audience a little bit about that.
5: Okay, so this is a boy from the hood, in the sense of from the ghetto, you may want to say. I grew up in an extremely parochial, insulated world where I wasn't even taught to read or write English. Um, but somehow or another, I always had this idea that we're not supposed to be ignoring the three now eight or 9 billion people that are not to be Jewish. And it began to develop in my mind, we need to figure out what we're going to be doing in relation to all of those people. And when you think about who they are, many of them are living in desperate poverty and real hardship in ways that Westerners cannot even imagine. And so I began to think, what, what should be our response to this situation where we are privileged and that we're knowledgeable, we're privileged in that we live in a in, in developed and democratic, um, fluent world? And I also simultaneously began to become more curious about Israel, which I had never been to visit until I was already 20 years old. And on my own, decided it was worth me finding out what the deal was with this Jewish country. And again, that's when I started to realize, look, I didn't I was no expert, but I understood that this this was a miracle in front of my eyes. And I was curious enough to, to ask how they did it and what was the deal here? And I watched how this it went from leaps and bounds. And I don't know why, but I put the two and two together and I said, well, if we have a Jewish state that's got this amazing know-how and we've got a world out there that's in such desperate need for help, isn't it like, obvious that we should be trying to bring the two things together? And then I thought to myself, you know, people, as you said before, are dumping on Israel all the time. They're criticizing it, often totally unfairly. But, you know, what are we doing about it? The answer is we're arguing back. Well, that's a waste of time. We happen to have know-how that could change the whole world. So my mission became to put Israel at the forefront of global good. Let's not busy argue with those people who are just interested in drawing us into an argument so that they can claim we're murderers and we say, no, we're not. How about if we go out there and we just embarrass them by doing so much good in the world that literally every time they turn on the television, there is an annoying Israeli saving a life. And so I set up TAG International Development, which is a humanitarian organization, in order to try and do my bit to actually bring this know-how to far-flung places in the world. Let's see what happens when you take Israeli solutions, you try to adapt them to really challenged um, areas in Africa and Asia and so on.
1: Well, I have to tell you, you could come back and talk about it anytime you want, but we're running out of time and I want to make sure everybody knows the book is A Light from Zion, Uh, Why Israeli Innovation Matters. It's available through Post Hill Press and it's available on... Amazon, and all major book outlets. Uh, thank you so much for joining the Jewish Patriot. And thank you for showing the world because Zionists are not all Jewish. And we have so many people that support Israel that are followers of the show and are fascinated by all this technology and innovation. And that is uh, so important to share. Thank you so much for joining the Jewish Patriot.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thanks for watching the Jewish Patriot Show with Talk Radio's premier Jewish activist, Cindy Gross. Be sure to download Cindy's next program as well as previous ones available internationally on iHeart Radio, Spotify and in Israel on Jewish podcasts. See you next time on the Jewish Patriot Show.